I watched How to Train Your Dragon on Friday. Great film if you haven't yet seen it. Very cute. Three little baby dragons at the end. Uh, anyway, we're in a teaching series in 1 John. John is the guy that uh, was friends with Jesus, wrote the Gospel of John. He also wrote Revelation. Uh, he was there when Jesus was crucified. He was also there at Easter morning when Jesus was raised from the dead. He really knew a lot about Jesus. We're in this teaching series, the letter of 1 John is actually very, very similar to the chapters John 13 to 17, which is the Last Supper. So at the Last Supper, Jesus is talking to his disciples, explaining kind of the fundamentals of the faith. And you'll see a lot of parallels between 1 John, the letter, and the discourse at the Last Supper. So far, the message is uh, God is light. That's 1 John 1, 3 to 10. And then God is love, which is 1 John 3, 11 going on. In essence, John is saying that Jesus is God's selfie. So God takes a picture of himself, he reveals it to the world, and it's Jesus. And he's saying, I am light and I am love. And so John is saying, if you know Jesus, you know the God of love. And if you know Jesus, you'll be able to follow the God of love. Some of it, he was speaking against heresies which were coming in the church. But at the same time, it's really, really healthy to go over the basics of the faith. The Christian faith is not rocket science, but sometimes we make it rocket science. He's just drawing them back to the basics of the faith. Like obedience and love of God looks like listening to him and obeying. Like you should have a passionate devotion for God. And that God is the highest representation of all that is good in the world. I'm going to pray before I get into the teaching. The text today is going to be 1 John 4, verses 1 to 21. Gregory taught on 1 John 3, 11 to 24 last Sunday. You can catch that up online. In essence, he's saying, uh, if you love God, well, loving others is like loving God. And if you're able to love others, we need to know what God's definition of love is. We don't make our own definition. That could be manipulative. We want to use God's definition of love. And it inherently looks like sharing the good news of uh, Jesus with others. We bow your heads as I lead us in prayer. Father God, open our minds. Give us clarity to understand your word as written through the letter of John. Help us to have open hearts, Lord, that we may not just understand what you're saying, but believe it. Take a hold of it into our lives. Lord, we pray that you transform our lives as well, that it won't just be something that we mentally assent to or say that we believe on a Sunday, but it would look like uh, how we behave and live through the rest of the week in our everyday lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we live in a world of distractions. It's really difficult even just to pay attention to the roads without being tempted to look at your phone. What was so fun about watching How to Train Your Dragon was for two hours... I had clear and singular focus. There was this huge screen in front of me. If you don't know Charlestown Mall Cinema 18, it's a best-kept secret. $6 a ticket, reclining chairs if you're a parent, two hours of sleep for $6. Uh, we're watching How to Train Your Dragon, great film. And I was just aware that it's this sensory overload happening. Like the sound, I'm not sure if the seat was vibrating or if it was me. Uh, this whole thing was going on. It's like, what? I am consumed with interest in a life of dragons. Normally, I would not be. But for two hours solid, it was fascinating. It held my attention. 
Now, the reality of the Christian faith is so often it's difficult for God to hold our attention. And so my message today is uh, overcoming spiritual ADD, overcoming spiritual uh, assurance deficit disorder. And the way that we increase our assurances that God has us spiritually is we spend time in front of him. Like the more time we spend in front of him, the greater our assurances are. It's not like we're more saved the more time we're in front of him, but the assurances that God is love become much more prevalent in our lives. So I'm going to go through three different assurances, and it's from 1 John 4, verses 1 to 21. Now, the way John is written, uh, it it can be called uh, a circular writing style or an amplification writing style kind of has three main points that just keeps going round and round and round. And each time it touches upon the point, it just gets a bit bigger. Kind of like if you have a snowball and you start rolling it into the base of a snowman. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the points that John is doing is that God is light and uh, God is love and Jesus is God's selfie. First section I'm going to read is uh, verses 1 to 6. And this is the assurance of spiritual truth. So we're overcoming spiritual ADD. We're going to focus on spiritual truth. I want you to listen out for two things as I read verses 1 to 6. The command, like don't believe every spirit. What that means is don't believe every thought that you have. Don't believe everything that's said in a church necessarily or around you. Second thing to listen out for is that the Holy Spirit who lives in us is greater than Satan and his demons. And when I finish reading it, I'll teach a little bit on it. So 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Follow along in your Bibles or in your phone apps. If you're holding your phone horizontally, I know you're playing a game. Uh, Let's go. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, and who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Uh, John, as an apostle, when he uses the word we, means it in two senses. One, uh, him and the other apostles, but also uh, the whole body of Christ. Once you become uh, a believer in Christ, you become a child of Christ. And there's no difference in value to the kingdom of God, whether you're an apostle or a new believer. You become all very much equal in the gospel. So when he's saying we, he means him and the apostles and also the people uh, he's writing to. Now, the command, it says, do not believe every spirit. It says this in verse 2, this is how you know that it's from the Spirit of God. It says, if it acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God. Now, lots of people will say Jesus is a great person. 
Yeah, he was a tremendous teacher. He did many miracles. He was amazing. People would even say he was just a man. But for a period of time, the Spirit of God was upon him. All of those are false teachings. It's almost like anti-Messiah teachings. Only those that say Jesus is God is that from God. Does that make sense? Lots of diff- people say different things about Jesus. It's only true we say is from he is God. He is deified. Not just a great guy, not just a, a spirit of God dropped on a person for a period of time. He is God. And the encouragement that the Apostle John has to the church is that, yes, it can be scary that there are anti-Messiahs in the church leading people away from Jesus Christ. But he's saying, do not fear. The Spirit of God himself is living with each, each one of you. And he has overcome Satan and all of his demons. So at the time in the church, that meant there's people leaving the church speaking against Christ. And that would have been very scary for the local church. In our day and age, there may be situations that we're facing in our own lives that cause us to panic. That cause us to have great fear, to cause us to doubt, is Jesus really real? Because if he is, maybe I wouldn't be experiencing this. John would say to you from this message, applying the same text, he'd say, fear not. Like, whatever you're facing today, God has already overcome it. He has overcome everything. The worst the devil can throw at you. And all of his minions, the Spirit of God who lives in you is infinitely greater and more powerful than anything that we are facing. Now, in the local church in today's day and age, it's very rare that we have people that would openly speak out against Christ. We have the Apostles' Creed. We have solid doctrine. uh, We have the New Testament. It's quite easy to see if someone's uh, from a cult or trying to lead people astray versus someone who is a solid Christian. I would say, however, that there is another type of anti-Messiah that goes on in the local church, and it's that inner narrative in our heads the inner narrative that says, maybe Jesus wasn't God. Maybe I'm not really saved. Maybe uh, Jesus loves other people, but he doesn't love me. But I would say to you, that is not from God. The spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit that lives in you, would affirm these things. God is love. You are beloved, and Christ is more real than anything in existence, anything outside of existence even. And so uh, the early church, we now have doctrine to test against false teaching. I would say hold on to the truths, the truths and doctrine about God, as when you're testing the spirits, even as that kind of inner narrative is going on. If you listen to that inner narrative too long, it will lead you into despair. If you're able to arrest some of that inner narrative and say, no, that's not true. God is love, and I am loved regardless of how I've been behaving today, regardless of how I'm feeling. That helps stop the spirit of uh, the Antichrist from wreaking havoc in your life. The second assurance as we're overcoming spiritual ADD is the assurance of God's perfect love. 
uh, Valentine's Day, chocolate's great. Everyone, it's, it's almost impossible to get anyone to disagree with the fact that love is a good thing. Whether you're a Christian writing a worship song or you're the Beatles writing All You Need Is Love. It's a really common understanding that love is the best thing. But where we differ in the Christian faith from other people in relation to love is that love is not God's only attribute. So you could say God is love. Lots of people go, yeah. But love isn't his only attribute. And God is not actual love itself. Does that make sense? People say God is love. I agree with that. But the the difference, bad theology is that's his only attribute or he's some kind of mystical love that links us all together. We're going to look now at what uh, God's perfect love is. We're going to go through verses 7 to 12. I want you to listen out for how many times it repeats that God is love and how he's loved us, and that means how we love others. It has a big impact on it. And I want you to hear as I'm reading out not only that God is love, but that he invites us not just to receive his love, but to share it with others. Read now verses 7 to 12. If you're wondering why I'm splitting up the text into sections, it's because each bit is almost like its own whole. In the letter of 1 John, it's very difficult to get 25 verses and say there's one point from this. So forgive me, it's not what we normally do, but it's what's going to be most helpful if I try and keep you on track. Verse 7 through to 12. So listen out for God is love and how we're receiving it and giving it out to others. Dear friends, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So God is love, but it's not his only attribute. God, uh, for love to exist, it always needs to be in the context of a relationship. And the only God... In any of the world religions that exists in the context of a relationship is the God of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who have always existed. Each one is fully God, though each one is distinct in its own right. But there is this love relationship going on that's been there from the very beginning of time. And love is such a positive thing, it overflows. And so God created, the whole world created us to share his love with us. That's what it means when it's saying God is love. It's an affirmation, not just that Jesus is God's selfie, but God is a a trinity as well. It's always in the context of relationship. And you'll see when it says what love is, this is love like Christ gave himself for us. That shows that love is self-sacrificial. Love is not something where we manipulate others so that they can meet our own needs. God showed what love is by saying he continually gives of himself to others and seeks their benefit. So as we affirm that 
God continually gives himself to us and seeks our benefit. Is that how we treat other people in the church? So John is appealing for unity as well when he's writing this letter. Is our posture towards our brothers and sisters in Christ one of, uh, I want to manipulate you deep down because I want you to meet my needs. Now that's not love. Love is pursuing people and seeking the best for them, for their benefit, not for ours. And verse 11, uh, John is saying, like, be a conduit of God's love. Don't be a cul-de-sac. So it's, it's, it, we might be narcissists and say, of course you love me, God. That makes perfect sense, and I'm just going to receive it all. We've really missed the point. The reality is we receive God's love. And like forgiveness, we can't help but share it with others. So in verse 11, you'll see that John's saying, be a conduit of God's love, not a cul-de-sac. Another way of saying this is, uh, be a stream, not a stagnant puddle. Verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then in verse 12, it's saying, the more that we love the more that we uh, understand that Christ loved us, the more that we'll love others. So the more we're spending time in God's presence, the more we will love others. The more we'll experience his love, the more we will be transformed, the more we can help others be transformed, not through manipulative behavior, but through contemplative behavior, in spending time in front of God, and he speaks to us about how to love others around us. Follow along in verse 12. It says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. When it means his love is made complete in us, it's a, it goes back to the beginning of uh, 1 John. It says, God is light and him, in him there's no darkness at all. It's like God is a bright uh, light bulb. And then our responsibility is to be mirrors of that light bulb. So we reflect God's light. There's a whole load of darkness on the back of a mirror. There's a whole load of darkness that we've been forgiven from, that we're to reflect his light. And so when John is saying here, like, uh, if you love others, God's love is perfected. That's what it means. It means you're, you're reflecting his love fairly to other people. You're being a good witness of his love. So he's saying uh, here, another way of saying it would be, uh, be a stream, not a stagnant puddle. He's saying, actually, over and above being a stream, let's say of living water, he's saying being a river, be a river of life. That's imagery he uses in Revelation. So we have the assurance of God's perfect love changes lives. It changes our life, increases our love of him and our love of others. And through us, as we draw witness to the fact that God is love, it helps change their lives. So overcoming spiritual ADD, we've looked at the assurance of spiritual truth. We have sound doctrine now. In the New Testament, it says it's, it's, uh, the Spirit saying Christ is God, then yes, it's safe. Equally, the inner narrative in our voices should be affirming that God is love and we are beloved. Just looked at uh, how God's love is perfected. But look now at overcoming uh, fear. Overcoming fear. Another way of looking at this would be the assurance of salvation. 
Another way, uh, which I'm using as a title, is the assurance of God's spirit. The assurance of God's spirit. So Paul Tillich is a philosopher and a, theolo- a, a theologian. That was not tongues, that was a slip up. Uh, he said that the human condition is, all, is what's common to all of humanity is revolves around three common fears that are held by everyone that define us. He says it's, it's the fear of guilt. Certainly before I became a Christian, I knew that I really needed forgiveness. I didn't know where to find it, but there was this constant awareness of, wow, I, I can't really save myself given all that I have done. The second fear is the fear of meaninglessness. Like, do I have any purpose in the world? Uh, wh- what's the point of all of this? If I no longer existed, would anyone notice? Would anyone even care? It's inherent fear that we all have. And the third one, fear of death. Fear of death. Whether we like it or not, one thing that is assured for every single person is death. Now, when I will teach at a a non-believer's funeral, I'll add a couple of other things in there. I'll say, yes, we're all guaranteed death. No one can argue that. We're also guaranteed that uh, God is love and he loves us unconditionally. Also guaranteed that Jesus, if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we don't need to fear death. And so the antidote to all of these common human fears, the fear of guilt, the fear of meaninglessness, the fear of death, is God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit who comes to live within us. So I'm going to read verses 13 to 21 to you now from chapter 4. Love is always greater than fear. Imagine fear is like darkness, and then love is God's light. Darkness cannot exist where God's light is. So listen out for this. Listen out for the assurance of salvation uh, hidden within this text. And then listen out towards the end for how um, we can't say that we're God's child unless we genuinely love other people. It's a really good litmus test. Do we love other people well for their benefit? If the answer is yes, that's a good litmus test that we are in front of God's love a lot. So verses 13 to 21, if you follow along with me. It says, this is how we know we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love, uh, sorry, who Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us. So we'll have confidence in the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, who they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God 
must also love their brother and sister. You do not need to be a Bible scholar to see that this is all about love. God loving us and us loving others. Uh, The assurance of salvation, this is a text I Uh, have a tattoo uh, on my arm in relation to it. I'm not going to show it. Uh, It's verse 18. It's talking about like a fear of death, a fear of meaninglessness, a fear of guilt. It's like, am I saved? And it's this, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love is God. Perfect love is God living within us. God as Holy Spirit. And when we have this Holy Spirit living within us, It gives us the assurance that whatever is around us has been overcome by God who is living within us. Even faced with the devil and his pathetic minions, it means nothing compared to who is living in each one of us. Now, what you'll also notice throughout hearing about love and loving others is that an assurance of salvation It's not an arrogant expectation. It's not, of course you saved me. That makes sense, God. No, it's not an arrogant assumption, but it's a settled state of mind. It's not an arrogant assumption, but a settled state of mind. The fear causes us to manipulate. Fear causes us to love others to our own ends in a settled state of mind where we know that we are saved, where we know that we are the worst sinner that we possibly know, because we know ourselves better than anyone else does. It means we deal with others so much more contemplatively. The spirit is living within us. The fear of guilt has gone. We are fully forgiven. It's not arrogant because we know we didn't deserve it, but we accept that we received it because God is love. The fear of meaninglessness goes when we're given the Holy Spirit. We have been given a life with tremendous purpose, representing the most perfect being uh, inside creation and outside creation. Not just that, but being called his child. And not some kind of child that he doesn't really care about, but his beloved child. I mean, there's nothing better to get rid of meaninglessness and a fear of death. If you read throughout the Gospels, uh, Jesus, when it relates to a believer, someone who believes uh, in his father, it's just that they're sleeping. They have nothing to fear. Uh, They've gone asleep for a period of time. And you look forward to life eternal. This life is really short. I say that as someone that came to the Middle Ages a lot quicker than I was expecting. But this isn't the only life that we have. We do not need to live, you only live once mentality. We can persevere in the faith. We can persevere with one another. God is in us and he's overcome everything and we have eternity waiting for us. Uh, Verses 20 to 21, I'm going to talk in relation to speech, um, in relation to applying the golden rule. Within the church that uh, John was writing to in the Mediterranean, there were false teachers Often when you lead people astray, it's how you speak, how you teach. Rarely in the church do we have false teachers these days. We have the Bible, we have doctrine, we know what's right or what's wrong. Something that every church has that has been put in there by the devil 
is not practicing the golden rule with speech. He will tear any church down. He'll divide a church. He'll try and shut a church down. He will blow up a church by people not loving others with their speech. Now, we know, I've, I've read in psychology before, uh, gossip is really helpful for cementing bonds in a community. It helps you feel like you belong. If you watch Survivor, you'll see that they'll talk about different people behind their backs, and it makes them feel closer together. You'll also see that it's a complete mess in Survivor. And I want to share with us, there's gossip in every church, there's gossip in this church. We are not a survivor on a desert island. This is the kingdom of God. And we need to communicate with the golden rule in mind. Okay, I'm going to speak to our church leader team about it. It's something I'm going after this year. Now, we went through the transition, and I understand in a transition when everyone kind of left, people were trying to figure out, like, what has happened? What has been going on? But we finished the transition. And when I came on board, there's still a bit of trying to get clarity, what's been happening, what's going on. But what I've noticed, and it's out of love, I can't let this continue in our church, is gossip. That the transition's over. We don't just start speaking about other people without speaking to them first. Is that clear? And here's what you say when someone starts speaking to you about someone else. Why are you telling me this? Just wait for the response. It just pulls the motive straight out. Have you told them this? No? Well, you should. And I give you my commitment as your pastor. If anyone gossips to me about anyone here, I will hound them out of here because we are a body of Christ, unified in love. And to be safe and care for one another, we can't have gossip going on. It affects just a couple of people here, but it's like gangrene. Just like the spirit of the Antichrist was gangrene in the early church. When we're close to God, we become much more concerned with our own sin than someone else's. I will know if someone's been spending time with God, because I can tell within five seconds about their attitude, their appearance, in terms of how they're loving others. Here's my commitment to you, not grandstanding, to serve this church well at any point. You can text, email, or ask me in person, have, when was the last time you missed spending time with God? Unadulterated time in front of God, receiving his love, so that we can love others. You can ask me that any time, I'll give you the honest answer. And it's because I need to be accountable to receiving God's love, to be able to shepherd and love this congregation well. And people from the outside looking in, if we're marked by divisions and gossip and factions, they won't want, want, want what we've got. Why? Why would they want it? It's no different. Do not hear this as a rebuke. Hear this as grace. No one likes to be spoken about. No one. And it's not going to continue in here. Stopping today. Someone's gossiping to you, speaking negatively about someone. Why are you telling me this? Have you spoken to them directly? No, you should. Thank you.
the more we love others as Christ loved us, the more we're transformed. Not just a stream of living water, not a sewer of gossip where we fling dung at people, but a river of life. Jesus is God's selfie. The more we spend time with him, the greater our sense of assurance is. So when I was at the cinema watching How to Train Your Dragon, I couldn't help but be consumed with that film. The reality is the more time we spend in God's presence, we will be consumed by the assurances that we have. We're not earning them, but we're front and center, keeping them the main focus of our life. It's a spirit of truth. What's God's love? The perfect love. And what's uh, the assurance of God's spirit living within us? And it gives us a settled state of mind, not an arrogant assumption. The way to overcome spiritual ADD, spend time in front of God. Ask me, and I will be honest, when did I last miss spending a quiet time with God? If I miss one day in 30s, not to be legalistic, I'm letting you down. Genuinely, how can I love and lead if I'm not being transformed by God? So let's focus on God. At the end of uh, 2018, I spoke a message on union with Christ. The essence is, it's not just reading your Bibles, it's not just listening to worship music. We're pursuing a union with Christ. And it's like riding a bike. There's two wheels. The front wheel is Christ, an extravagant grace. We follow that. And we pedal, the back wheel is radical obedience. So some people will say, okay, is it extravagant grace or is it radical obedience? It's both. And we do that by spending time with God. You'll see people being transformed and transformed. I'm going to ask us to do now, I'm going to pray, and then I'll do a little bit of response time. Will you bow your heads? Father God, help us to be transformed by your perfect love. Give us a spirit of unity, a spirit of humility, a spirit of care and compassion. Lord, your, your love conquers everything. Your love conquers a spirit of falsehood, a, a spirit of fear, a spirit of uh, condemnation, Lord. And you want the very best for us. You say no to the old self and yes to the new self, Lord. And you lead us every step of the way, and it is sweet. And Lord, with your spirit in us and us being connected to you as Holy Spirit, whatever we face, we're spending time with you. We're reminded that you have overcome it, that Satan could be standing in front of us with his army, and you have overcome it, and that surely you use everything for good for those that love you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for how you're reviving us. Keep us close to you. Help us be missional in how we represent you to others. Help us to follow you for discipleship ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, we're closing out with a song uh, titled, Jesus, I Come. And it's when whatever is happening in our life, whether we want to celebrate good news, we go to Jesus. Whether we are in the midst of trouble, we go to Jesus. If we need grace, we go to Jesus. I think you get the theme here. So whatever you would like someone to pray for you in relation to, just come forwards and know, know this. It's not our own behavior that saves us. It's Christ's perfection. 
And whatever you're believing about yourself that says you are not forgiven, if you've put your faith and trust in Christ, that says your life is meaningless, or that says you need to be afraid of death, know that that is a demonic lie. You are a beloved child of God, and eternity awaits you. Let's stand.